This morning's reading is Lesson 121 in the workbook. Forgiveness is the key to happiness. Here is the answer to your search for peace. Here is the key to meaning in a world that seems to make no sense. Here is the way to safety in apparent dangers that appear to threaten you at every turn and bring uncertainty to all your hopes of ever finding quietness and peace. Here are all questions answered. Here the end of all uncertainty ensured at last. The unforgiving mind is full of fear and offers love no room to be itself, no place where it can spread its wings in peace and soar above the turmoil of the world. The unforgiving mind is sad without the hope of respite and release from pain. It suffers and abides in misery, peering about in darkness, seeing not, yet certain of the danger lurking there. The unforgiving mind is torn with doubt, confused about itself in all it sees, afraid and angry, weak and blustering, afraid to go ahead, afraid to stay, afraid to waken or to go to sleep, afraid of every sound, yet more afraid of stillness, terrified of darkness, yet more terrified at the approach of light. What can the unforgiving mind perceive but its damnation? What can it behold except the proof that all its sins are real? The unforgiving mind sees no mistakes but only sins. It looks upon the world with sightless eyes and shrieks as it beholds its own projections rising to attack its miserable parody of life. It wants to live, yet wishes it were dead. It wants forgiveness, yet it sees no hope. It wants escape, yet can conceive of none because it sees the sinful everywhere. The unforgiving mind is in despair without the prospect of a future which can offer anything but more despair. Yet it regards its judgment of the world as irreversible and does not see it has condemned itself to this despair. It thinks it cannot change, for what it sees bears witness that its judgment is correct. Forgiveness is acquired. It is not inherent in the mind which cannot sin. Through him you learn how to forgive the self you think you made and let it disappear. Thus you return your mind as one to him who is yourself and who can never sin. From the songs and the reading and everything, you've probably already guessed that uh, we're going to talk this morning about forgiveness. We've been talking about fundamentals since the beginning of the year. We've talked about making peace your only goal. And so that means that your goal is not to sit through <laughs> uh, an hour talk. Your goal when you leave the church uh, will not be to drive someplace. It will be to be at peace. Your goal right now is simply to be at peace. It isn't even to learn anything. It's simply to experience the peace of God here and now. And when you eat your noon meal, 
It will not be to save money or to get through within a certain period of time or to get there before the line forms at Tecolote or something. It will be to be at peace. Peace will be your goal and not getting the check. Peace will be your goal as you drive from the restaurant or as you get up from your table at your home and do the dishes. Your goal will not be to do the dishes. Your goal will be to be at peace. And when you sleep at night, your goal is not to sleep. It is to be at peace. If you will set your goal as being at peace, then the things that you need to do out of kindness to your body and out of goodness to your friends and out of being a good parent to your children will be done. When you get dressed in the morning, your purpose is not to get dressed. It is not to look good. It is not to knock them dead. <laughs> it is to be at peace. We have no second goal. We simply set the single goal of peace. And so I have stressed how important it is to be aware of other goals. To watch yourself setting them. Because you cannot be at peace if you set any other goal, no matter how innocuous it may seem. If it's just to get from one place to another. If it's just to uh, get in front of this particular car that's in, that seems to be driving so slowly or erratically as it may be in New Mexico. <laughs> Can I get by them without being sideswiped? <laughs> Your goal is peace. Because the only thing you wish to do is you wish to awaken to reality. You wish to know your father. You wish to know your father's love for you. You wish to know your oneness with all your brothers and sisters. You wish to know that you are in heaven. You are in God. You are in love. You are in peace. And most of you don't know that. Most of you are quite miserable. Most of you think that the circumstances of your life have conspired to make you unhappy and that there's very little you can do about it. And so basically it's circumstances or particular people who are to blame. And you do not forgive them because in all honesty, this is just simply the way they are. You, you just say that. I, I heard a story recently of uh, someone who told someone else. I don't know if the story is true, but it certainly is a... Uh, a typical kind of conversation. One friend approached another friend. Friend A said to friend B, well, I want you to know that we've been together recently more than usual. We've been thrown together. And you, I must tell you, have been a big disappointment to me. <laughs> I, I just didn't realize that you didn't have things together. Um... But 
I want you to know that I've been working very hard on this, and I've completely forgiven you. <laughs> now, this kind of conversation, although perhaps not that blatant, goes on all the time. This is the ego's use of forgiveness. It leaves the judgment intact. <laughs> The way the person is or what they did is not question. And so we say, I'm sure God will forgive them. Two or three thousand years, God will forgive them. <laughs> I'm sure they didn't mean it. But, but we don't question what they did. We don't question our judgments of the world. We don't question our judgments of our job. We think that we know the good aspects and the bad aspects of our God, of our job. Now, in talking about peace, it is very important to understand that you do not select the peaceful events. You do not select beforehand the peaceful circumstances or the peaceful people to be around. Your goal is to be at peace no matter what person is near you or what circumstances surround you. It is true that if you see that a particular circumstance calls to your ego and you cannot personally be peaceful in this circumstance, then of course it's good to see if you cannot avoid that circumstance or modify it in some way. This is just intelligence. It's just common sense to do that. But you don't tell yourself that you know who's peaceful and who's not, or what circumstances are good or bad. That leaves the judgment intact. It leaves it in place. And so you cannot make any progress. Now, my friends, you know that this is the last year of this church. This church will have lasted three years. You know that I have done my best to make this as pure and simple a church as possible, as free of any questions that you might have about our motivation at the dispensable church. And that's why we did not accept money. That's why we did not promote the church. That's why we asked you not to recommend it to others. Boy, did you fall down on that one. <laughs> Now, at least don't recommend it from this point. We don't want to change buildings, you know, between now and the end of the year. Usually, Actually, what usually happens, this is, see, if you had gone to uh, Manny's ministerial school as I had <coughs> in New Claude, Texas, um, then you would know that uh, what happens in the church business is that the congregation increases up till Easter. Easter is a peak, and then it falls dramatically off. I, why that happens, I don't know. Manny used to stress, he said, don't let that bother you. <laughs> he says, you just milk them for a little more after Easter. <laughs> there is no Manny people. <laughs> All right. So, you must understand that I have one motivation only for these three years. This is a fact. I want you to believe this. There is a God. 
there is truth. The peace of God is not just a nice concept. I know that many of you have made efforts and you have experienced no peace. Or perhaps you did and perhaps you didn't. And you look back on the day or the part of the day or the hour and you can't for the life of you figure out, was that peace? Was that the peace of God? You see, Or was that uh, dyspepsia? <laughs> God loves you. You are in God's arms at this very moment. You don't realize that. You think you're this little body that was born in one place and has not had an altogether happy life. And kids, it's not getting any better. <laughs> now, this can be very discouraging. Because we've, we've checked all these things off of our list, all these things that we thought were going to do it for us, and they didn't do it for us. And the list is getting very short now. And we're not sure that we can even get our hands on the few things that are left. There is more than this. There is more than this. I tell you from my heart that you're not this little body and that this little lifetime that you will have lived, these few years, is not all there was to it. You are in God's arms at this very moment. Your Father loves you. You are a part of love itself. Deep in your heart, deep in your inner self, you are completely at peace and you know the truth. And there is no effort. There is no struggle. There is great work that needs to be done before you begin to feel this and realize this. I'm not talking about feel it in some sort of bodily, sensational sense. But before you begin to understand, it is within your power to go through the day happy and at peace, loving the people around you and blessing the circumstances. But you will not change the world. That isn't the way you're going to experience peace and happiness. The world is going to remain essentially the same. It is a tragic place. There are so many tragedies to speak of that I could speak for five years and never get through all the tragedies that you know so well. The tragedy of the child who comes to the parents and is born into the world and wants nothing more than to be with these two people. And now the parents no longer have their child mind. They said when they were children, I won't be that way when I grow up. I'll play. I'll be there for my kids. Because you had a child's mind when you were a child. And then you became a parent. And you found it very difficult to be with a child for any length of time. We find it difficult to just be with an adult for any length of time. And so there's this tragedy of the children wanting to be with the parents. Wanting the parents to play like children. And the parents can't quite do it. And they try. And there are moments that they can do it. And so at adolescence, the child deserts the parent. And then the parent, in retribution, turns against the child. And that's the end of that. 
And then there's the tragedy of our old friends. We find it very difficult to change around our old friends. It is one of the tragedies of this world that the people we have known the longest and loved the most are the worst for us. This is not always true. There can be a spiritual path. It is possible to go beyond that. It's possible to go beyond the child tragedy. But haven't you seen that already? Your old friends, the people you've known the longest. And now you want to walk home. Now you want to walk toward God. And they will not let you change. They get angry because your responses are not the way they used to be. You felt that, haven't you? You try to be a little different and they don't believe it. And so you find it very difficult to change because anger is an attempt to control. Whenever you're angry, you're trying to control someone. And when someone's angry at you, of course, they're trying to control you. This is not a basis for condemning them. That's just the facts. And so they get angry at you and you can't, you can't be peaceful around them. These people you've known the longest. Plus the fact that they hearken back to the old days. They remind you of the old times. The way things used to be. And you feel yourself being drawn back into your ego. Even when you go home for Christmas and you're around your family. And pretty soon you're sucked right back into the old you. There is no malice there. No one intended that to happen. That is one of the tragedies of this world. And what happens when you get sick? You want certain foods, don't you? And what foods do you want? The ones that will hurt you the most. That's the way the world's set up. What you want is the thing that will make you sicker. And what do you want to eat every day? In the world, the foods that we like the most are the ones that are worst for us. That is just the way it is in the world. So, what have we talked about? Three tragedies. The whole world is a tragedy, but my friends, my brothers and sisters, fellow dispensapalians, <laughs> it is a dream. It is no more reality than the dream you dream of. A couple of nights ago, I dreamed I was Hitler and I was getting married. <laughs> And there were these big British bombers flying very low over our heads. <laughs> and my unconscious could not believe I dreamed that. And so it went back and dreamed it all over again. <laughs> that's, that's all it means. It's just nothing. It's a dream. You can awaken from this. The tragedy isn't the tragedy that it seems. The desertion and the departure of the children is not a final desertion. It is not a long-term leaving. You will come together with your child. It is but a moment that the desertion seems to take place. It is but a moment that your body seems to assault you. It is but a moment that food seems to hurt you, that air seems to make you sick, that jogging makes your ankles tingle and your knees ache. But you will not change the dream. 
Oh, yes, the dream is always changing. I don't mean that. But it's the same old, same old, friends. It just changes into something else. And so we work so hard to get this one little thing changed, and then bang, oh, here's something else. Do you see? It's a useless battle. That's all we've said for three years. Don't fight this useful battle. Don't use spiritual truth to try to change the world. You used other things to try to change the world, but now you're on a spiritual path. And the temptation is to make the same mistake. It doesn't matter whether you get the fancy car or the apartment with the view or your executive at the company. Don't you see this insanity about about business? The strong preying on the weak? Do you see that in company after company, business after business? The strong prey upon the weak. They climb over. They climb on the shoulders and on the heads of the weak to boost themselves up until they themselves become weak and then they are preyed upon. Another tragedy. So why do you want to be on top of the heap? You will merely be on the bottom. Why would you want great physical beauty when you were young? Do you see how unhappy people can become because they were so beautiful when they were young? These are dream tragedies. These are not real tragedies. This is not creation. This is not what your father has for you. And what he has for you is here and now. It rests gently in your heart. There's only one thing that you have to do in order to have what your father has given you. And that is to be like your father. To be gentle and peaceful and kind. There is nothing more to do than that. It can be said a billion ways, but there's nothing more to do than that. Mary Lou, as a gift of love to this church, made copies of the St. Francis prayer. They're out there on the table for you to pick up. There's nothing more to do than what it says in the St. Francis prayer. Now, people, as you do this, as you work hard at it, as you set your goal in the morning to do this, to be at peace, one of the lessons in the Course in Miracles is, I will spend this day in perfect peace. Isn't that lovely? I will spend this day in perfect peace. Now, when you set your goal in the morning to spend this day in perfect peace, then you begin to sense the truth of what everybody's been saying. And every sacred scripture and everything that you can see as far back as there's written words to look at. And how many thousands of years before that was it only spoken? You'll begin to sense the reality of this. This is not a tragedy. There are no tragedies. It's just a silly dream. You don't have to worry about whether or not your marriage as Hitler worked out. <laughs> it was a dream. <laughs> There's nothing to concern yourself about. And so you put your arms around those that you come in contact with, those that you can be with at peace at this time. And that, that circle will expand. 
and you hug them to you and you bless them in your mind. You don't necessarily do anything overt. Another tragedy of this world. Go around hugging people and telling them how much you love them and you will scare the out of them. <laughs> they will turn and run. That's a tragedy of this world. You don't have to do that. Don't play the world's game. Your knowledge, your sensing of the truth does not require any overt action. You will sense your oneness with people, but that doesn't mean you have to do anything about it. You just bless them in your mind. And if something is there to do, and it's peaceful and there's no anxiety, then of course you do it. And then you will begin to awaken to the presence of Christ to this, this sea of light and brilliance that you are in. Very dimly at first. This does not come in a sudden breakthrough. This comes a little bit at a time. Because you set your goal to make a little bit of progress today and then tomorrow, a little bit more, just a teeny bit more progress, it will begin to dawn on you. There may be little teeny Moments, little holy instances when you see the face of Christ. Another tragedy of this world is that if you have seen the face of Christ, your life can become very miserable because you're not seeing the face of Christ now. And all you have to do is go back and read the, the mystics, even just the Christian mystics, and you can see those people who felt their oneness with God and now they can't get back to that state. You see, another tragedy of the world. So don't even ask for that. Don't even want a little breakthrough. If there's a breakthrough, fine, forget it. Enjoy it while it's there. Forget it. Go back to one little step at a time. And then you'll begin to feel the presence of Christ. You'll begin to feel the truth. You'll begin to know that there's only one self, only one truth. And there's nothing scary about this. You are the self. You do not change into the self. You are the self. You are the love. You are the source of the blessing. You are the light of the world. And then you'll become very gently and very slowly this gentle, warm source that just blesses everyone. And you walk through the day in peace and you'll begin to realize it's up to you. You can do it. Now, for some reason, the, the, the question of responsibility has come up the last couple of Sundays. There were some questions about it and so forth. And it, I, I realize that it's a very difficult question. But there is no end to these difficult questions. That's why I say the only thing you have to do is to be as peaceful and as gentle and as happy and as kind as you can right now. Because I can promise you there is no end to these questions and you will receive an answer for a question, a metaphysical or a philosophical or theological question and notice that it simply raises ten more questions. Another tragedy of this world. There are no questions in God. 
And that's why it works that way. And so if the question is bothering you, it is, of course, good to give yourself an answer that will put the question to rest. That's all the answer has to do. It's not the answer or the perfect answer or anything. It's the answer that puts the question to rest. That's the answer you want. So let's talk a moment about responsibility, since this has been a question that's been coming up. Now, was I responsible for the British bombers in the dream? They, they were very low. I can still see them now. There was this big valley or something. It was like, you remember when they went in and, uh, was it, oh, the Empire Strikes Back, was it, in which they went into the long funnel, you know, and they had to go down the long, it was something like that, you see. Was I responsible for them? And they couldn't get altitude. I can't remember. They couldn't get enough altitude or something. I don't read things into this, people. <laughs> now, was I responsible for those? Do you see that that's, that that's an irrelevant question? What I was responsible for, yes, of course I was responsible for them in some sense, but I was responsible for having fallen asleep. That's what I was responsible for. And of course, I must fall asleep. I need to sleep. My body needs sleep. And so I fall asleep at night and I have the dreams. But when I start looking at the particulars in the dreams and saying, well, this shouldn't be happening. That shouldn't be happening. I told you about my friend who uh, had the dream about uh, the spoons. He was living in the house and he had just, in reality, he had just built a patio wall. And in the dream he had, the spoons were trying to jump over the patio wall. And uh, they were, in fact, succeeding at doing this. And so uh, this became a, a, a problem in the dream. What to do about this? Should he get a spoon trainer or should he build the patio wall higher? You see. And the dream went on and on. You know how these things go. Now, was he responsible for the, the spoons jumping over the patio wall? This is the same question. Am I responsible because my child got sick? Am I responsible because of this accident? Am I responsible because of uh, our government's policy towards such and such a nation? It's the same kind of question. Was he responsible for the spoons jumping over the fence? Well, I guess in some theoretical sense, in some ultimate sense, he was responsible for it. But do you see how that's... That does nothing but fix blame because the judgment is that the spoons shouldn't have been ju jumping over the patio wall. But friends, spoons have a right to be free. <laughs> what he should have done is form a committee and liberate other people's spoons. <laughs> you see how many ways these things can be looked at? But there was an unquestioned judgment. The spoons shouldn't be jumping over the patio wall. Now, that's the same kind of thing. We look at the world and we say, oh, am I responsible for that? But look at the judgment. The judgment has not been touched. It remains intact. You've decided this is a worse thing than something else. It's not a worse thing. It's all part and parcel of the dream. And so, of course, as you go along, you will understand that you do choose how your body feels. 
you choose whether or not it gets sick and how long it will be sick and so forth. But what good is that to you if you're not at the point of seeing that so clearly that you can make another choice? If you're not at the point where you see it that clearly, then it's a useless concept and the ego is merely presenting it to you to cause great havoc or to judge someone else who's sick. And don't think we don't judge people who are sick or who fail in business or get divorces or who get married. By God, I'll never get married. So-and-so is an idiot. They got married. I thought they were more intelligent than that. Ever you see there's a Another side and another side and another side. And there's no one way of looking at anything. And what's right to one person is wrong to another. And it's on and on and on. And so what's the question of trying to single out certain things and asking, am I responsible for it? You're responsible for the fact that you are asleep and you now know how to awaken. And so the only question is, will you begin this instant or will you wait a little longer? That's the only question. Okay, I'd like to talk a little bit more specifically about forgiveness and how to forgive. This is the major tool in your uh, arsenal, your celestial arsenal, (laughs) is forgiveness. When you have completely forgiven the world, then you will see you are free of the world. But as long as there's something in the world you haven't forgiven, you are anchored to it. You are chained to it at the point that you haven't forgiven it. If there's a person you haven't forgiven, if there's something that happened that you haven't forgiven, if there's something you're doing currently that you haven't forgiven, that's where you are anchored to this world and that's what's keeping you from awakening. And so forgiveness is what sets you free. It is truly the key to happiness. The first mistake that people make is that they are not honest. They think that forgiveness calls for them to be dishonest. And so don't tell yourself anything about what the person did. Don't try to read another motive into their act. Don't tell yourself that they had another motive. This is a world of egos. Their motive was nasty, people. Don't tell yourself it wasn't nasty. It was cruel. It was selfish. Of course it was. If you want to say that, say it. And say, my ego's no better. (laughs) But don't tell yourself that, oh, well, he had a bad day, or uh, I'm sure the feeling wasn't right at the dentist, or whatever the thing is, you see. Don't be dishonest. That isn't the way to forgive. You're not reinterpreting Never reinterpret. To forgive means to let go. That's all it means. It means to release it. It means to not think about it. You can forgive, but you can't forget. Just the opposite. You only forgive by forgetting. You only forgive by saying, this is not worth thinking about. I think I won't think about it anymore. And so you must have a plan. You must know how you're not going to think about it. Or otherwise, you are going to think about it because your ego will present you with this grievance, this grudge, this fear about the future, this terror, this nagging something, whatever it is. The thought will come back. As long as you accept the the thought as having some 
power, some effect, it will come back. But it is within your power, it is your responsibility in the sense that you are able to respond. This is an area in which all of you can respond at this present time. All of you are far enough along that you can respond in this way. And that is, you can set a plan in motion. You can have a plan that when the thought comes to your mind next time, this is what I'm going to do. And it doesn't matter what it is. It's just that you are choosing the response. Surrounding the situation in light, I've told you, is about as basic and good as you can get. But sometimes we need something more thorough than that. Forgiveness is the willingness to be comfortable. It's the willingness for your mind to be comfortable. That's all it is. Would you like your mind to be at rest and at peace? If so, you are willing now to practice forgiveness. But forgiveness is not eternal. This is the other mistake. The first mistake is people think they are being called upon to be dishonest. And the second mistake is they think they have to do it all at once. They think the forgiveness has to last. It won't last. At our stage of learning, it will not last. Don't be discouraged about this. Your ego is like a little child that's going through the terrible twos or something and is testing you to see, do you really mean no? Because you haven't met no all the time consistently. And so that's what your ego is saying. Do you really mean no? And it will keep, and as long as you say yes, no, yes, no, it keeps coming back. And so there's only one time in which to forgive. It's not eternal time. It's not forever in which you forgive. You do not forgive within tomorrow. You do not even forgive within an hour from now or within this afternoon. That is not the area in which your forgiveness takes place. It takes place within this instant. This is the only time you can forgive and this is the only time it will last is right now. And the way you forgive is you turn and look at the grievance, at the grudge, at the fear, at the panic, at the irritation, at the little something or the big something. You turn and look at it, not judging yourself, calmly see everything that you can see and then say from this point on when that thought comes because I've looked at it for I've seen it now for what it is a mistake I will and then you have your plan I will bless this person I will see this person forgiven and relaxed relaxed because they're forgiven it's all right to do that. That isn't manipulating the world. You see, God stands behind this dream. It's like the fog that, that uh, covers the uh, sun grays at times. Have you, have you ever seen that? This sort of bank of clouds. And yet the sun, setting over the Hamas, shines on the sun grays. And you can see the golden light coming through the blank, the bank of clouds. It's there. You can't see it. You can't see the light. You can't see the reality. 
but you you were beginning to see this golden light filtering through the clouds, through the fog. That you can do. That's not manipulating the world. You look straight at Christ when you see another person. And you can see Christ standing there. You can see that this is their heart. This is them. This is what they really believe in their heart, really feel in their heart. This is the way they really want to be. You can see their basic goodness, just as you do with a child, a small child, a baby perhaps. You see its basic innocence and goodness. It doesn't matter that it messes its diaper, you see. You have no judgment about that. It makes no difference that it cries at the wrong time. It makes no difference that it picks up the wrong thing. Uh, I, I, I noticed recently that uh, Jordan likes to pull my beard, and so I was facilitating this now by uh, sticking my chin down there so he could get a hold of my beard. But he saw something more interesting. <laughs> my lower lip. <laughs> Have you ever had a baby grab your lower limb? <laughs> Uh, I didn't condemn the child. You wouldn't have condemned the child. There was nothing to get angry about. You see the basic innocence, you see, with the child. You don't critique a child's first attempts at some task, some household task, say, mopping the floor or cleaning the bathtub or making the bed or something like that. They suddenly decide they want to make their bed. You don't critique them. Do you critique the child's first drawings? You don't even look to see what your ego opinion is of their first drawings. You have no artistic opinion about their first drawings. You say, that's wonderful. And it is wonderful, and you see that it's wonderful because the child's wonderful. Because the golden light is coming through the dream. And so surround your job in light. Surround this person who sits next to you. Surround the uh, double bubble. or They don't make double bubble anymore, do they? You see how the world changes? Another tragedy. <laughs> what do they make now? Um, what? What bubble gum do they make? What bubble gum do they make now? Gosh. Yum. Bubblicious. These are important things, people. <laughs> and so you surround the double delicious and light. It's part of the dream. The light, the soft, gentle light of God can come, yea, even through bubblicious. Or the sound of bubblicious. Do you remember the reading that Gail had? How we fear the sounds? but we fear the silence even more. We fear the darkness, but we fear the light even more. They can come through anything. So surround anything in light. Bless anything. Look gently and peacefully for the face of Christ anywhere. It is in the dream that you will see God coming through and dispelling it like the sun dispels morning mist. That's the way it will happen. There is great, great pain in this dream. 
people are in pain. There are people in pain near you right now. They're friends of yours who are in pain, who are having a very hard time. One of the tragedies of this world is that we look down on people when they are pain, in pain. We kick the person when they are down. This is the tragedy of the world. This is the way it so often works. I know a woman whose husband was uh, having affairs, and she called her mother for support, and her mother said, what you need is to buy a shoulder bag. I'm not kidding you. That was what her mother told her. I have been telling you for years you need a shoulder bag. It was her fault. It was her daughter's fault. She had not taken the advice. She had her comeuppance. This is the world. The mother was not to blame. The same thing happened to her because she also had a mother. And so, of course, the things passed on and on and on. And this is the tendency to look down on people because they're afraid. To look down upon people because they're angry. If they're angry, they're in pain. Isn't that obvious? They're, they're the cornered rat. It's biting out. They're the scared dog that's barking. You don't condemn your dog because your dog doesn't recognize you. You've come home. Oh, I put on a blue hat. I was feeding Jordan and I had on, I'd just taken a shower and my hair was wet. And so I put on a blue ski cap. And Jordan would, he lost his appetite just like that. He would look at the ski cap and then he'd look at me. And this went on. I didn't think babies had that kind of attention span, but this went on for a good five minutes. Ski cap and then me. And so you come home and you're dressed a little differently and your dog starts barking at you. And do you condemn your dog for that? No, you see beyond it. You see completely beyond it. You see into their heart. And you know the goodness of your dog, and you know your dog loves you. But that we don't do that with each other. We look down on each other because we're scared, because we're irritated, because we're selfish. Selfish means I'm scared. Selfish means I've got to have it. I want it. I've got to have it. We know people who, who take the most food. They eat all the food at the table. They eat quickly. They're scared, people. You can look beyond that. When you condemn anyone, when there is a feeling of condemnation or criticism, when there is this feeling of judgment, a critical feeling, you plug into their pain. And most people have no idea how often they are doing that as they go through the day. You cannot help someone if you criticize them. What I have down here is Judgments plug into their quicksand. It's a mixed metaphor, you see. <laughs> you begin sinking with them. How do you avoid the pain of the world? By not criticizing it. Not criticizing your job, not criticizing the traffic conditions or the road or the weather or the government or what's happening on the news or what 60 Minutes says is awful or anything else, you do not criticize. Because when you criticize it, you say it's real. And if it's real, you're stuck here. 
let's close our eyes and uh, just join together for a minute. Let's just feel our oneness just for a moment here. Um, once again, I feel that uh, I've given you all that uh, you can uh, tolerate at the moment. <laughs> um, and um, so we've got just a few more minutes, uh, about uh, 10 minutes left. And so uh, is there anyone who wants to ask a question about forgiveness? This is a difficult part problem, people. I know that you have trouble because we all have trouble forgiving people. And some things that people have done seem unforgivable. And it seems impossible that we could let this go. It seems even just that we must hang on to it until we know they have been punished. Yes. Okay, how do you forgive yourself? One of the great advances that you will make, and you can make it now, if you will hear this this morning, you can make this advance. There can be a turning point in your life from this morning on, if you will listen to this very carefully. And that is, a time comes in which you realize that there is only one helpful response to a mistake, and that is to start over. It is not to condemn yourself or to analyze the mistake or try to figure out why it happened. So the mistake delays us far less than the, what we do after the mistake. As you are walking home toward God, you will make many, many mistakes. You're making many more mistakes than you realize. And there will be new layers of mistakes that will open up. I'm going to paint a rosy future for you here now. <laughs> new vistas of mistakes. And so with each advance, you begin to see other mistakes that you didn't know were mistakes before. Now you see clearly they're mistakes. Now, here's what you've got to do. As soon as you see that you've made a mistake, you've been selfish, you've been angry, it doesn't make any difference whether or not while you were making the mistake, you were saying to yourself, this is a mistake. I'm making a big, big mistake. And you went right ahead and did it anyway. That still is not grounds for condemning yourself. You weren't strong enough to stop it. That's all it means. You are at a certain level of learning or you have a certain amount of spiritual strength is a way of putting it. You did not have enough spiritual strength to stop yourself. That's all it meant. The time will come in which you can stop yourself more quickly. You'll see that you want to stop yourself more quickly. That's all that happens. You realize that this is useless. Anger gets you nowhere. Depression gets you nowhere. Discouragement is absolutely pointless. You'll see that so clearly that you won't spend any time being discouraged anymore. You'll just do something else. You'll get rid of it quick. But right now, you're at a certain level of learning. You're going to make mistakes. And when you make them, you just say, ah, that was a mistake. How do you know it was a mistake? You don't tell yourself what the mistake was. You know it was a mistake because you were not peaceful. Because you thought about it afterwards. If you're thinking a great deal about something you did, it was a mistake. 
because if you did something in peace, you would not need to think about it. You would not have any desire to think about it because peace is in the present. Peace is love of the present. And if you do something in peace, that means you love the present. And so the next moment you go on loving the present because it's there to be had. But if you're dwelling on something you just did or did a long time ago, yes, you've made a mistake. But don't tell yourself what the mistake was. Don't explain it to yourself. Don't go back and figure out how many other times you've done it. Just look at it, straight at it. See, this was a mistake. You see what you can see. You ask yourself no questions about it. This was an attack. You see that. Ah, I thought I was being cute or I thought I was being happy or I thought I was being cheerful, but I was attacking. Period. That's all there is to it. I won't do that next time. Next time, I won't so quickly try to cheer someone up. And you've said, next time I'm going to try such and such. I'll try pausing next time. And that's it. How long does that take? A minute? 30 seconds? Two or three minutes? And then you go back to the only thing that makes any difference. Simple peace and kindness and love. Okay, this is the end now. Let me just say one final thing. This can be so simple. If you'll just do the few little things that I've suggested that you do. If you'll set your purpose in the morning. Very clearly. Don't get up. From that work until you have this sense of strength. You know it's set. You know you're sincere. You set your purpose in the morning. And then as you go through the day you watch very carefully not to have any other goal, not to set any other goal, but the peace of God. You pause often to fill yourself up with God's gentleness and peace. Don't worry how perfectly you empty yourself out and you let God's gentleness just flow into you. Feel it flowing into you, God's gentleness and peace. And then people, at the end of the day, let go of the day. This is so important. Go back over the day, see what you're still carrying with you, and in whatever way delights you, let it go. That weakens your ego because it was your ego showing up. Just those simple things, setting your purpose, having no other goal but peace, filling up with gentleness and letting the day go. If you will just do that much, if you will just do that for this coming week, Just for this coming week, if you will try as hard as you can to do just those few things that I've said, I promise you, you will feel a tremendous difference. You'll feel it in just one day, but you'll certainly feel it at the end of the week. Give it one week. Know your Father. Know that your Father loves you. Know that you're going home.